All right, are you still expecting a great morning? Amen. We have a special guest with us today. We uh, have enjoyed her, at least I have, through the weekend as well, because I hung around to listen and, and to receive. And uh, we're just so grateful that uh, Billy Hunt would be with us today. Let me just make mention that those of you that were here through the weekend and would like tapes of the weekend, they are available. You'll have to fill out one of our order forms. Just do it like you normally would and uh, mark on there the services, and, and we will get them to you just as quickly as possible. And many of you will want to take advantage of that. But we've known Billy for years. I was asking Trace um, as... Uh, we were preparing for the weekend and even through the weekend. I said, when, when did we first run into each other? And, and she thought it was in the early 90s. So uh, it was at Evangel Cathedral and, and through Evangel Fellowship when we participated with them and, and were able to uh, meet and experience uh, Billy's ministry. Uh, she's been teaching, sharing the Word of God uh, for, for years. I, I don't want to say anything. I, I, whenever I introduce ladies, I always have to be careful about how, you know, I don't want to say for decades this is, but, but, but let me tell you, she has a lot of experience. I'll just put it to you that way. And uh, has been associated with a lot of great ministries here in the United States of America. And, and I could spend a lot of time and burn up a lot of time telling you all the wonderful, great things about Billy. She was with us actually at Legacy One. I was so thrilled that she would even come to Legacy One. I mean, Legacy One was just a little rough, not quite as, as nice as this, but she came and ministered and gave it her best, and that says something about a person, that no matter how many folks show up, they'll give it their best. It's as unto the Lord, and I know that she's come this weekend, and she's given her best, and I know that she's going to do that again this morning. So we're going to honor the servant of the Lord as she comes to share with us God's word today, and what we do here is we stand to our feet, let's put our hands together, and honor Billy Hunt as she comes to minister. so glad you're here, Billy. God bless. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Just stand, stand on your feet for a minute and let's ask the Lord to bless the word. Father, thank you so much for your presence that I feel here this morning. Thank you for your presence within us. Now, Jesus said, Lord, that the words that he spoke came from his spirit and carried life. And I pray this morning that you will pull from my spirit words of life, that my spirits will be, my, my lips will be carriers the words that I speak will be carriers of your life and will penetrate and every single word that's spoken will accomplish the purpose you meant for it to accomplish in Jesus' name. Bless this church. Bless the leadership of this church. I agree with them in their vision. We agree together. You said if two agree, if three agree, it would be accomplished for us. I agree, Lord, that that this church, by the time the new church is finished and it won't be long, that this church will be so bulging with people that they will have had to go to multiple services to accommodate those that you're bringing in. Use us, Lord, to bring your kingdom to the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, you go to churches. I go to lots of churches. And you go to churches that... Um, well, I don't want to say anything negative about churches. But you go to churches that... Uh, you, their worship doesn't thrill you. Uh, their media doesn't thrill you. And I'm, I must tell you, your technology is wonderful. I love your technology. You know, we're in the age of technology. If you're not willing to move in technology, you're not going to reach your generation. And you, it's beautiful. You're doing a great job. I don't have anything negative to say. I do want to say this. You are so blessed, and I want you to know you're blessed to have the pastors that you have. <laughs> Thank you. 
I remember the first time I came, I was so thrilled that Pastor Barrett had invited me because I held him in such high esteem. I don't, I don't guess he even knew that. I'd heard him speak at EFI functions. I felt like he was a mighty man of the word. I've never changed my mind about that. And you are very blessed. You are very blessed. He's a man of vision. He is a man of purpose. But more importantly than that, he is a man that's filled with the Spirit of God. And he's not moving in his own vision and his own purpose. He's moving in the purposes of God for this city. You are a church of destiny. I believe I'm speaking prophetically. You are a church of destiny. You are a church that, and that's one of the reasons Satan has fought you. Because Satan does, he, he doesn't know God's plan, but he can perceive anointing. And he can perceive vision in a person. And he does hear prophecy spoken over people. And so he begins immediately, when he, see, when he hears a prophecy spoken over someone, and then he sees in that someone the potential to walk out that prophecy, he immediately will begin to try to block and stop and distract that person to keep them from fulfilling the prophetic words spoken over them. So that's why you've had to fight through some things. But I'm speaking to you today that the Lord has placed before you an open door and no man will close it. And, and what you're about to do for God and what you're doing for God now, you will not accomplish in your own might and in your own power. But God is going to supernaturally begin to do some things. I have been attached to ministries who were supernatural ministries and did things at the time when everybody thought it was impossible, but they did those things. And I've seen God reach out and touch and bless and provide, and you're going to see it. You're, now, don't, don't see it from outside. See it from inside. I remember before I went on television the first time, Christian television had just come out. It was a brand-new medium. And I was sitting watching it. I was watching TBN. I don't know who they were interviewing, but I was watching uh, Jan and Paul Crouch interview someone. And whatever they were saying, I got so excited because they were talking about what God was doing in the earth. I was alone in my living room. I began to weep. It was late at night. I began to weep. I said, oh, God, I feel like I'm sitting in the bleachers watching what you're doing in the earth. Is there any way you can get me out of these bleachers and onto that playing field? And when I said that, it seemed like an impossible thing. A little housewife in, in East Houston at that time, no television experience, no connections to any major ministries. And yet within the next eight years, I found myself sitting on the set of TBN being interviewed. And as they closed the interview, they said, Billy, would you look into the camera and lead people give people an opportunity to receive Christ. And when I raised my eyes to the little red light on the camera, I heard the voice of the Lord say, you're not in the bleachers anymore. You're on the playing field. So don't, don't stay in the bleachers when you have the opportunity to be on the playing field. Let God use you. Now, everything God does, he begins with vision. Everything he does. God does nothing just haphazardly. God has a plan and when he has a plan for a people or a church, he begins with vision. Vision and the word that the Lord has given me for you this morning go together. The word that the Lord gave to me to share with you this morning is the word hope, which is a type of vision. 
One of my friend's husbands is gravely ill. He has a very rare disease. It's a degenerative disease. They at first thought it was Parkinson's, but as they began to examine him, they discovered it was another disease. I cannot pronounce the name of it, but it's a degenerative disease. They give him only maybe 10 to 12 months to live because all of his muscles in his body are degenerating, and that includes an atrophying, and that includes his heart. And I called her recently to see how he was doing because I'm believing for a miracle. And she said, oh, Billy, there's no hope. I said, oh, don't say that, Bobby. Don't say there's no hope. She said, but the doctors say there's no hope. And, you know, I said, and so I talked to her a little bit about what I'm going to talk to you about this morning because we cannot lose our hope. So let's talk about hope. If you look up hope in the Bible... You're going to, it's, it's not real clear what it is. I think of Hebrews 11 verse 1. You know what that, let's turn over there to Hebrews 11 verse 1. Because that's a place where hope is mentioned. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says in the King James, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. When we think of hope, we think of expectation. The, the dictionary says hope is a happy expectation for good. But that somehow just didn't get it for me. I'm a real ordinary girl, and I need a real ordinary definition. And as I began to pray about what is hope, and I began to look up all the scriptures on hope in the Bible and meditate on those scriptures and think about those scriptures, the Lord gave me a definition for hope. And this is the definition he gave me. Hope is a picture in your mind of what you expect to receive from God and it's based on the promises of God that's one of the differences in natural imagination and hope now there is a pastor and I were talking about this in the office before he's been speaking to you about the imagination of the spirit the spiritual imagination which is hope they're, they're, they're the same thing but there's another picture that comes to your mind the source of that picture is different. With natural imagination, the source of that picture is what you see around you, the report of the doctors. My friend had heard the doctor's report. My friend was looking at the, her husband's progression into this disease, and there was a picture forming in her mind, and it wasn't from God. It's called imagination. Now, hope is the object of your faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you have no hope, you have nothing for your faith to give substance to. Your faith is looking for something to give substance to. You say, well, I don't even have any faith. Oh, yes, you do. We all have faith. God has given us all faith, the measure of faith. Now, the difference in some of us is some of us have developed our faith and some of us have not. I liken faith to your spiritual muscle. Now, everybody in this room has basically the same muscle structure. But we certainly don't, our muscles don't all look the same, do we? If I could look around the room and find some young man that's been pumping iron and bring him up here and show him to you, and if I took off my jacket and showed you my arm, and you looked at his arm, you would think, oh, their muscles are nothing alike. But the truth is they are. The difference is, he's done the work to develop his muscle, and I haven't. And that's the way our faith is. 
There's a lady in my Bible study that used to, uh, before she was born again, she competed professionally in bodybuilding things, and she's a personal trainer. And the, and the girl has the most, well, it's just disgusting. Uh, I say that the difference in Renee and I, Renee and I have the same muscle structure. There are two differences. One is she has worked on her muscles and built them and make them, made them strong. And, and I, on the other hand, have covered mine with a thin layer of fat to protect them. A lot of us do that with our faith. We cover it not to protect it. We're just lazy. And we've got, to, we've got to understand that our faith is a muscle. And your faith, I say this, faith is the explosive power of your spirit. This is the way I define Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the explosive power of your spirit that takes the picture in your mind of what you expect to receive from God, which is hope, and explodes it into reality. But you've got to have hope. You have got to have hope. I told the ladies this weekend, the difference in God's dunamis power, dynamite explosive, miracle working power, the, the difference in dynamite and a firecracker is a firecracker makes a lot of noise and will put on a show. But dunamis power, dynamite power, will change things, will move the earth and make a change. And that's the difference in faith that has no hope, faith that has no hope, people may make a lot of noise about their faith, but if they have no hope, there's nothing to explode and change things. we got to have hope. we got to have hope. Faith is of your spirit. Hope is in your mind. Let me say that again. Faith is the power of your spirit. Hope is a picture in your mind. They work together. They work together. Turn over to, now save your place in, uh, in Hebrews because we're going to come back there to another place. But in um, 2 Corinthians, flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. It says this, we have the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I have believed and therefore I speak. So we see what happens with faith is, faith is a spirit, there's a spirit of faith. And a spirit of faith gets hold of this picture called hope. And begins to talk about it. Faith speaks. You know, you can't help it. Oh, i got to watch my words. You don't even really have to watch your words. If you will work on your hope, hope will so fill your mind that you will be unable to agree with the things around you. Because you will get... I love, I love the verse in Romans 4 about Abraham. It says, when there was no longer any reason for Abraham to hope... In fact, it actually says all hope, reason for all hope being gone. I know people who have been there. Dodie Osteen has been there. Dodie Osteen and I are good friends. I've known her for years and years and years. By the way, Pastor, when you were talking about the guy who had two years of experience many times, I was thinking about in my 66 years, I, have, I was counting on my fingers. I have only attended seven churches in 66 years. And, um, uh, and probably three of those were because I moved and had to change churches. But I'm, a, I'm the type of person that I don't like to change churches. I, don't feel, I feel like you have, to, you have to get the spirit of a church, you have to feel the nature of a church, then you have to become a part of the church before you can really be used in the church. 
So don't let the devil cause you to give up your position. And I've known Dodie for almost 30 years. And Dodie Osteen was given a diagnosis of metastatic cancer of the liver and a few weeks at most to live and no hope naturally. None. And Pastor Osteen said to the doctor, well, you know, is, is there no hope? And the doctor said, it would take a miracle for your wife to be healed. And John Osteen said, we believe in miracles and we'll get one. And they went home and they got in the word and they began to pray and they began to build hope. Now, Dodie needed something. She had the word. She had what the word said, but she needed something natural to help her hope. You say, is it possible to get something natural to help your hope? Absolutely. Uh, you know, you're believing God to bring in the finances, to build a building, to move to a new location so you won't have to pay somebody else rent so you can own what, what you need to own. And you know what? God is going to help you naturally with that picture of hope in your mind. And he's already done it because he spoke to your pastor and said, plant a cross. Now, when you look at that cross, you're going to see more than the cross. You'll see the building behind the cross. You know what Dodie got? She got a picture of herself when she was young on a horse feeling good. And she said she put it up where she had to see it every single day. Because the devil was giving her a picture of herself dead in a casket. And she had to change the picture. Some of you need to change the picture. If you want your faith to work, you're going to have to change the picture. You've looked at your children and your children are not living for the Lord. And they're not doing what they should be doing. And the devil gives you pictures. I remember when my daughter first learned to drive. And we bought her a car, and one of the first things she did was wreck it. And I can remember when she had her little, she had her little curfew time when she had to be home in the evenings. And I can remember, if you sit at the, on the top step in my house, I have the, a big window above my front door, and we live at the very end of a street, and you can see to the end of the street. And I can remember sitting there at night waiting for her lights to turn the corner and come home. And I can remember times when she was a little late and the enemy would give me pictures of my daughter crashed into a tree or my daughter in some type of trouble. And I would have to stop and pull down that picture and replace it with another picture, the picture of the lights coming down the street. See, you have to do that. If you want your faith to work, you have to work on your hope. And the source of that hope it's not your imagination, not, not the report of your doctor, not how your circumstances look, not how your kids are acting. The source of your hope is the Word of God. You've got to look beyond all that other stuff and grab hold of the Word. That's what Abraham did. When there was no human reason to hope, he continued to hope in faith that he would be the father of many nations as he had been promised. We sing a little song when I was growing up. I wonder if y'all sang it in the Nazarene church. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. All the blessings of his love divine. Every promise in the book is mine. Did you sing it when you were little? Oh. <laughs> well, we resemblance to God people sang that song. <laughs> and you know, the more I the more I pressed into faith the more that little tune has become real to me. Because people will say, well, that may have been for somebody else, but it's not for you. Let me tell you, if it's in the Word, you can have it. If God said it, it doesn't really matter whether you believe it or not. If God said it, it'll come to pass, 
And if you want it to come to pass in your life, you're going to have to believe it and begin to confess it because faith speaks. As you have believed, I love that, Hebrews 4.13, we have the same spirit of faith. That spirit of faith means life-giving force. We have the same life-giving force in our faith. According as it is written, I have believed and therefore have I spoken. We believe and we speak. And that's what Abraham did. There wasn't any reason for him to hope. All of his friends said, you are a nut, Abraham. Do you know how old you are? Have you looked at your wife lately? I don't really want to be Sarah. And I'm glad my husband didn't like Abraham. But he never stopped. He never stopped. And you know, just before, just before he got his promise, God changed his name from Abram, father of altitudes, to Abraham, father of many nations. Don't you know his friends thought he really had lost it? You want us to call you what? Father of many nations? Who do you think you are? I'm just telling you what God told me. Call me Abraham. And so I imagine they kind of laughed when they called him Abraham. But it only took about a year after God changed his name for the promise. See, he got it in his mouth. You got to get it from your spirit, from the word, to your spirit, to your mind, to your mouth. And then as God created the heavens and the earth with the words of his mouth, your words will begin to become reality also. By the way, you are building your word, your world with your words. We all do. Hope. Hope. Now, let's think a little bit about the other imagination. The imagination, the picture in your mind that comes from circumstances, that comes from what, that come from what people tell you. The, the earthly imagination, the natural imagination. In 2 Corinthians 10.4, we are told to cast down those imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, think about that. Natural imagination will exalt itself above the promise of God. That's what that's saying. Whatever God's telling you, whatever you're believing God for, natural imagination. See, that's a picture in your mind also. And that will begin to try to displace the picture God has given you. This screen is just lovely. But if you tried to put two slides up here at the same time, it would become muddled. You would, be, you would have trouble reading either slide. I don't even know if you could do that. But if you could do that. And that's what happens in our mind. When we allow imagination to begin to replace the, the, the picture of hope in our mind, the Word has given us a picture of ourselves well. And now suddenly the doctor's report tries to replace that picture with a picture of ourselves dying. Do you see what's happening? And you're double-minded. What does the Bible say about a double-minded person? Unstable. You become unstable. And so here in Corinthians, it says we got to grab hold of those imaginations that are coming from circumstances and outside reports and common imaginations. We have to grab hold of it. We have to pull it off the screen of our mind and keep that, that screen of our mind available for the pictures of hope that are coming from the Word of God. And it says we have to bring our captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. That means we have to, I choose, I choose to believe your word. I have said that to God so many times. Lord, I choose to believe your word. Whatever circumstances are telling me, whatever my body's telling me, I choose to believe your word. I choose to believe your word. And just keep moving on, moving on, moving on. Because faith, hope will bring faith. If you can get the picture of the word in your mind, it will cause your faith to work. Imagination, the natural imagination that comes from your circumstances will bring fear. 
And both faith and fear do produce. But I want what faith produces in my life. How about you? Your faith gives substance to the things you hope for. Romans 5, 5 says it will, that hope never disappoints or deludes or shames us. For God's love is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he, who he has given us. Now, I want to just talk just for a minute about how God gives you hope. Anybody here? Well, I want to ask you to raise your hands. But sometimes we just feel like, just like my friend. She was taking, she's taking care of her husband day after day. She sees the decline in his body. She hears the words of the doctor. She's so busy, she really doesn't have the time to pray that she once had. And, and she hasn't been in the Word as I've been in the Word. And so her hope is being replaced with imagination and despair. So how do we keep that from happening? How does God give us hope? Did you know there's a scripture in the Bible that tells you exactly how God gives you hope? And it's found in Romans chapter 15. And I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified Bible. Now I think I'll read it to you from King James. I have a parallel. King James is, is shorter, and so I'll read it from King James, and then after I explain it, I'll read it to you from the Amplified. First of all, here's, here's the uh, first part of that verse. Romans 15, 13, you found it? Okay. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now in that little verse, that little short verse, God gives me the formula that he uses to give me hope. And I'm going to share that formula with you. It's a simple formula. First of all, God is a God of hope. God is a God of ideas. God is a God of vision. God is a God of, of spiritual imagination. God is a God. He's a creative God. You cannot possibly, your, your mind can never conceive and perceive all the things God would really love to do for you if he could just get you into the position to allow him to give you that glorious picture in your mind and get it from your mind to your mouth to your circumstances. He is a God of hope. He is a God of hope. I love what Jeremiah 29, 11 says. God says, I know my plans for you. My plans for you are good and not evil. To give you a future and to give you hope. See, that's, he's a God of hope. He's a God of hope. I don't care what you're facing. You need to stop right now and say, Lord, clean the screen of my mind. In fact, let's do it right now because I, I believe in this service God can change some things in your life. So, Father, I ask you right now, if, if, you need your, if you need the Lord to clean the screen of your mind, just raise one hand. Lord, here we are. I even raised my hand because there's some areas where I need you to clean the screen of my mind. Father, we choose to cast down imaginations and all of those thoughts and ideas that the enemy has tried to raise up over the promises of God in our life. And we ask you now to take the blood of Jesus, just like the teacher would take an eraser and clean the board. Lord, let the blood of Jesus cleanse our mind right now. Cleanse the screen of our mind. Remove every picture from our mind that is not from you. And make room for hope. For we know you're a God of hope. Now let's see what he's going to do. He's a God of all hope. And he wants to fill you with something. Isn't this interesting? I want to fill you with joy. In order for you to have hope, you first must have joy. Joy is an interesting word. 
Some people think that joy and happiness are the same. They're not. Happiness is dependent on your circumstances. And joy is not an emotion. Oh, the joy of the Lord was here and we laughed and we laughed. No, no, the joy of the Lord was here. And, and it caused an emotion. It caused you to feel emotional. But really, the joy of the Lord is not an emotion. I once spoke at a conference on joy. There were four speakers. We all spoke on joy. We all had the same assignment, speak on joy. That's challenging. And at the end, and it was a good conference. And, and on the way home, I was just going over everything everybody had said. And it occurred to me that not one of us, myself included, not one of us had defined the word. We all agreed it was a spiritual force. We all agreed it was different from happiness, but nobody really said what it was. And I'm driving home and I said, Lord, what is joy? I mean, it's been prophesied over me. Wally Hickey prophesied over me in the 60s that the Lord was going to anoint me with the oil of joy above my fellows. But what is it? And I, it just, I began to think about it. all the way home. I, that question rolled around in me, Lord, what is it? And then the Lord spoke to me and he gave me a scripture. He brought a scripture up from my spirit that I'd read many times. And he said, if you will meditate on that scripture, you will know what joy is. The scripture was, I told you to not lose your place in Hebrews. The scripture is in Hebrews 12, verse 2. And this is what it says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is now set down at the right hand of the father and the lord said if you will meditate on that roll it over and over in your spirit pray over it you will know what joy is so i began to analyze that scripture and notice where the joy was it wasn't inside him it was before him but behind him it was before him and whatever it was for the joy that was set before him, he endured. Whatever it was, it gave him the power to endure the cross. Well, I began to think, what was it that gave Jesus the power to endure the cross? Jesus could get through the cross because Jesus could see beyond the cross. When he looked beyond the cross, what did he see? The promise of God. He looked beyond the cross to the promise of God, if you are willing to die, you can take the place of all humanity and you can guarantee that the whole human race will be redeemed from the curse. So he looked beyond and he saw Billy Hunt. And he said, oh, I can give her eternal life if I can just go through this. This cross will last, the pain of this cross will last one day. I'll have to go to hell, and that in three days, this will all be over. Just three days, three human days, and this will all be over. But eternity will be secure for every human being willing to believe. He got that. He saw the joy before him, and it got him through. And when you meditate on that, you know what the... I imagine some of you right now could stand up and tell me what joy is. But just in case you can't, here it is. Joy is the ability... To look beyond your circumstances to the promise of God. You see, that's what real joy is. So if God wants to give us hope, the first thing he does is he lifts our vision above our circumstances and he places before us a promise. May the God of hope fill you with joy 
He wants to give you a promise. If you're sick, your promise may be by the stripes of Jesus you were healed. Your promise may be if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and active in your physical body, he will bring life and health to your short-lived physical body. All sorts of scriptures about healing. If you're in financial trouble, he might raise up before you the promise. Now, God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. See, there's a promise, whatever you need. If you're having problems in your marriage, your husband, if you're a wife and your husband doesn't love you, he may give you this promise. Now, may your husband be carried away with delight in your arms. There's promises for everything. How about your wayward children? All of your children will be disciples taught of the Lord, always obedient to the voice of the Lord, and great will be the peace of your children. See, he'll put that promise before you. That's how he gives you hope, but that's not all. You see, once he gives you the promise, you have a choice. May the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. Not just peace. Peace in believing. When you make the choice... To believe the promise rather than the circumstances, peace comes. All that fighting stops. You grab hold of that promise. You say, oh, I'll take it, Lord. I'll take it. I don't care what's going on around me, what storm is going on. I'm going to grab that promise. I'm going to hold on to that promise. I believe it. And as you believe it, peace comes. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. If you don't believe it. A lot of times God will put a promise up for you and you won't believe it. If you don't believe it, well, then the stress remains. The conflict remains. But when you believe it, peace comes. i got to get, I jumped to Amplify. Let me get back over here to King James. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. When you choose to believe it, the Holy Ghost turns on the camera of the Spirit, and shoots a picture up into your mind. And it's called hope. That's powerful, isn't it? And when your mind gets a hold of that hope, and that hope begins to expand in your mind, then your spirit, your faith in your spirit, begins to jump up and down. And all of a sudden, that picture in your mind, and your spirit gets together, and it comes out your mouth. And it becomes a confession of faith. A confession of faith. Of faith. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Hope. I love Zechariah 9.12. It says this. Return to the stronghold and security of security and prosperity. Prisoners of hope. He calls us prisoners of hope. He says if you will become a prisoner of hope. You will return to your stronghold. Your safe place. Your safe place of prosperity and security. And he says, as you return there, God will restore double your former prosperity. That's a great promise for hope. Hope, hope. Oh, God, give us hope. Now, do I have time? I have lots of time, don't I? I want to talk about another little, you know, faith is the substance of things. Hope for it's the evidence of things not seen. Sometimes our faith is working. Sometimes we have hope. We have a clear picture of what we expect to receive from God. And we're believing, but nothing seems to be happening. Anybody identify with that? And you believe, and you believe, and you believe, and you believe. And you encourage one another. If you're married, the wife encourages the husband. The husband encourages the wife. Don't give up. Don't give up. You come to church. In fact, you get kind of tired of pastor saying, don't give up. Don't give up. And you say, good night. I've been believing for years that nothing has happened. 
Well, there's another scripture in Hebrews that you might need to read. It says, you have need of patience. I call hope and patience the companions of faith. They are the companions of faith. Hebrews 10.35 says, don't cast away your confidence. It has a great recompense of reward. You just have need of patience. That after you've done the will of God, you might receive that promise. Your hope might become reality. I've received all sorts of wonderful things from God. I, I was raised in a spirit-filled home. And, uh, and I've made some terrible mistakes in my life and have reaped the results of those mistakes. But I've also received blessing upon blessing upon blessing. I've received many healings in my body. But do you know I've never received, well, I'm not going to say I've never received a miracle, but most of the healings in my body were progressive healings. I had arthritis in both my hips. Everybody in my family on my mother's side struggles with this. It's genetic, they say. I really didn't know what it was. I just knew that when I would get up after sitting for 10 or 15 minutes, I couldn't just get up and walk away. I had to stand for a minute and, and take a few little steps and kind of work the pain out, and then I could begin to walk. And it was progressively getting worse. And I have a cousin that's in ministry, and she called me one day, and she's in heaven now. She called me one day, and she said, how you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm doing great. I said, but you know, I have the strangest thing. My hip is hurting. Oh, she said, you know what that is? I said, no. She said, it's arthritis. I have it. Your mother had to have a hip replacement. And your mother's sister, two of your mother's sisters had to have a hip replacement. One of my sisters is on a walker. Your sister can hardly walk. It's, your brothers have it. It's, it's arthritis. It's, we all have it. It's arthritis in your hips. Now, listen, that happens sometimes. People say things like that to you. You need to do the same thing I did. I don't know why I said it like this, but it came up out of my spirit. I said, you know what? If you want it, you can have it. But I don't want it. And I'm not going to have it. And I went to the Word and I began to search the Word for the promise of the Word that said I didn't have to have arthritis. And of course, I got all the general about, by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed in the same spirit that raised Jesus. But then I looked for bones, happy bones, healthy bones, moist bones. And I began to speak to the Lord. Lord, you said in your Word. And I would remind Him what He said in His Word. I walk and pray almost every day for about an hour. And I would walk and I would pray and I would remind the Lord of what he said about my hips. You know what? I didn't get healed in a week. You know what? That healing didn't manifest in a year. But I didn't give up. After about two years of speaking the word, Art and I drove to Arkansas. That's where he's from. It's a nine-hour drive from our house. We'd driven halfway. It was about five hours into the drive. We stopped for gas. I got out to go to the little girl's room and to get a Coke, and it dawned on me about midway through that gas station that I had jumped out of the car and I had no pain. When, I, when Art got back to the car, I said, you won't believe this. When I got out of the car, I had no pain in my hips. If I still don't have any pain, now, this is a great woman of faith. If I still have no pain when we get to Arkansas, I will know that my healing is manifested. <laughs> and God is in heaven saying, I don't believe her. Gabriel, do you believe her? I haven't had any pain since. See, it took a little time. Patience has to do with time and waiting. It's not fun, but it's the key to all blessings. It took Abraham a lot of years to get that boy, but boy, it was well worth the wait.
was married to my darling husband. I've been married to him for 46 years this year in April. I was married to my darling husband 25 years before he came to the Lord. I did everything I knew to get that man saved. I was mean. I was sweet. I begged. I cried. I loved. I, 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 sometimes I didn't love. I hid prayer cloths in his pillow. I anointed him with oil in his sleep. I did everything and nothing worked. And then the Lord gave me hope. He gave me a promise. I'd been doing, I'd been believing God, but without a promise. He gave me a promise for my husband's salvation. It was about the blood. He gave me a prayer to pray. It was a year of hope before my husband came to the Lord. But let me say, that was in 1989, and it was well worth the wait. See, patience, patience. Well, did you get tired? I got tired. Did you doubt sometimes? I doubted sometimes. I thought, this man will never get saved. And my, my husband's big problem wasn't that he was mean or that he was a drunk. It was that he was so good. He was raised in a Christian home. He did all the right things. He just didn't serve the Lord. And so I had to have patience. Without patience, you will never inherit God's promise. You have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Hebrews 6.12 says, Don't be lazy, but be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. For God made promises to Abraham because he could swear by no greater. He swore by himself saying, I will bless you. I will multiply you. And after Abraham patiently endured, he received the promise. I like what the Amplified Bible says about that. You have need of patience. It says, don't fling away your fearless confidence. It carries a great reward. You have need of steadfast patience, endurance, so that you may perform and fully accomplish the will of God and thus receive and carry away and enjoy in full what is promised. Here's my definition of patience. Patience is the quality that does not surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial, but continues to do the right thing until the answer comes. Patience is the quality that does not surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial, but continues to do the right thing until the answer comes. Endurance and patience are twin words. They both have to do with the ability to keep on keeping on. James is such a... Sometimes the things that James writes, I, I think, James, what were you thinking? Consider it joyful whenever you are enveloped in counter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Now, you could think he had lost his mind unless you knew what joy was. Think about the definition I just gave you for joy. James was saying, if you just put the definition that God gave me instead of the word, he's saying, when you fall into trials and temptations, look beyond to the promise. And when he says count, that's an accounting term. Consider. 
And he says in verse 3, Be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith brings out endurance and steadfastness and patience. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play and do a thorough work so that you may be people, mature, fully developed, with no defects lacking in nothing. God does not bring bad things into your life. I'm sorry if you disagree with me, but I do not believe bad things come from the Lord. I believe that it's the thief who came to kill, steal, and destroy. Don't get Jesus mixed up with the thief. He came to kill, steal, and destroy. A lot of bad things that happen to you come from Satan. A lot of bad things that happen to you come because we live in a fallen world. But a lot of the bad things that happen to you come because you're stupid. You make stupid choices. And you reap those choices. Now, although God doesn't bring any of that stuff into your life, God does not waste anything. And when you fall into trials and when the enemy attacks you and when people are mean to you and when you lose your job and when you get sick and when everything is going wrong, well, the word here in James said, get your eyes off your circumstances. Look beyond to the promise and understand you're going to get through this. The promise is going to bring you through this. And while you're getting through this, God wants to do some work in your life. He wants you to get strong. He wants you to have endurance. He wants you to be somebody who not only can get delivered yourself, but can help him deliver other people. It'll make you strong. You've got to let endurance and patience have their full work. And the only way to develop it, my mother used to say, do not pray for patience. Do not pray for patience, Billy. Because the Bible says tribulation worketh patience. I don't know how to tell you this. Whether you pray for patience or not, you will have tribulation. So it's better to pray for patience. So when tribulation comes, you'll get through it. <laughs> we have to develop an attitude of patience. You say, I'm just in it. I am in it personally by... Uh, personality, I'm very impatient. I can't stand long lines. This morning at the hotel, there were, there were about a million kids. And they were all in line at the breakfast buffet. And I didn't want that buffet. I only wanted something little bitty. I'm real impatient. So I just went over and sat down and waited for somebody to notice me and come and get me my little bitty thing I wanted so I didn't have to go through that long line. Because I don't like lines. I don't. Do you? I don't like to wait, but it's good for me to wait. I have to develop an attitude of patience. In the, in the traffic in Houston, you learn to develop patience. So when you're in those times, you have to consider, evaluate, and you have to know, you have to let your mind, because our faith is always tested. I don't know if you know this, right before your promise comes, there'll be a test. There'll always be a test. There'll always be a test. Your patience will be tested. Your endurance will be tested. I like this one. You will have an opportunity to be offended. Every wonderful thing that God has ever done for me, in ministry especially, just before the door opened, I had a great opportunity to be offended. If I had embraced the offense, I would have delayed my answer. You could, you could possibly even defeat the purpose of God in your life by not operating in hope and patience. Just before I went on television, 
I had been, uh, I had done a pilot at Lakewood. Lakewood had a really beautiful studio, and Joel was then over the television ministry. His dad was the pastor. And I was using the studio. Several other ministries were also using the studio. And um, John Swearingen, who is now over our television ministry, was Joel's assistant, and he was helping me with my program. And I had a camera. The Lord had blessed me with a camera. It was a really good camera, and Lakewood borrowed it quite often when they went on out and had to fly somewhere because it was easier to carry than their big cameras. And um, I asked John. He was bringing my camera back to me, and I said, John, has the Lord said anything to you about helping me produce my TV show? I'd really love for you to produce my TV show. Oh, he said, I, I really would love to. I'll ask Joel. So he came back. We were in the middle of a convention, and he came back the next morning, and he met me in the lobby, and he said, I have bad news. And I have worse news. He said, the bad news is that uh, Joel said that we're expanding our television and I will not have time to do your show. So I will not be able to produce your show. And I had already kind of prepared for that. So that wasn't overwhelming. Then he said, here's the worst news. We're also going to totally remodel our television studios. And we're going to do away with those studios you've been using. And nobody's going to be able to produce their shows here anymore. For me, that was like saying, put a big X on television because you'll never be able to afford studio time anywhere else. And he said, Joel is real worried that you're going to be offended. And I said, these are my exact words, I choose not to be offended. And he laughed. He said, that's an interesting reply. And I said, it's the truth, John. I choose not to be offended. But boy, was I fighting offense. I walked into church. I can remember where I was sitting. I sat down. And the longer I sat there, the madder I got. I let them take my camera all over the nation, fly it in airplanes. I have given into that television ministry. I have, I have, I have, I have. And this is what I get. And he knows I don't have them. He knows, he knows. And, and I'm so mad. I ought to just leave. I said I hadn't changed churches a lot. I didn't say I didn't feel like changing churches a lot. <laughs> the Holy Spirit said to me, hold your position. That's all he said to me. Hold your position. I said, all right. The next day, walking and praying, the Lord began to talk to me. Sometimes he talks so loud, it almost sounds like a, a voice outside of me. But he was talking inside me. And he said, you know what, Billy, if I had... Get, open the door for television for you while John Osteen was furnishing the studio and backing you. Everybody will say, would say, John Osteen put you on television. But now, it'll be a miracle. It sure will, because it's impossible, Lord. That afternoon, I got a call from TBN. They said, Billy, uh, are you just absolutely determined to, to uh, do your show at Lakewood? Well, actually, <laughs> what did you have in mind? Well, Dr. Cherry is building a set here at the studio, and there's room for another. Isn't your husband a builder? Yes. Well, would he be willing to build a set here, and we will, we will video your show here, and we will give you an excellent rate? And God did a miracle. Now, I tell you that, but that's not the end of the story. I told you that because I want you to know something about patience. Because I refuse to get offended... Because I stayed where I was supposed to be at Lakewood. A number of years later, John Osteen died. And Joel Osteen became the pastor. And the Sunday night pulpit was opened up because Joel only felt like he was supposed to do Sunday mornings. 
Guess who got the Sunday night pulpit? For three years, I had the pulpit on Sunday night at Lakewood Church. And the Lord reminded me, maybe the first or second night I was standing in that pulpit. He said, do you realize if you had embraced offense, you would never have stepped into this position of ministry? Are you getting what I'm saying? So you need patience. And patience avoids offense. Patience isn't just patience with time. It's patience with people. It's patience, being patient with circumstances. It's stepping back and saying, I don't understand this. I'm hurt. My feelings are hurt, Lord. But I will not give up my position. I won't give up my position of faith. I won't give up my position of promise. I am going to have it. I know you've promised it to me. I will not give up until I hold it in my hand. Faith is always tested. And you know, James also, Peter rather, 1 Peter 1.7 says that the trying of our faith is precious in God's sight. He doesn't test you so you will be defeated. He allows that test so you can go on to the next level. In the natural, when our children go to school, they are tested. They are tested before they are promoted. You also will be tested in your faith. before Abraham was tested before he got the promise. Everybody in the Bible was tested before they got the promise. Even after Abraham got the promise, he was tested. God told him to go sacrifice his son, his only heir. That was a test. I, taught, I have a series, I think there might be one out there, called Hearing God's Voice. And, um, and I encourage people to write down what they think God said to them so they can examine it by the Word and make sure it was from God and that sort of thing. And a girl in my Bible study called me up and she said, I think I've heard God and I wanted to run it by you to see if you think it was the voice of God. And I said, well, what do you think God said? She said, well, you know, we're going through this really tough time right now. I said, yeah, I know. She said, well, I feel like God said to me, this is a test, only a test. Do not attempt to adjust your life. <laughs> I said, well, I guess God knew how old you were because somebody young wouldn't have had one idea what you were talking about. But in the, in the early days of television, when we were afraid Russia was going to attack us, they would do these tests on television, and they would, they would run a test pattern, and their little voice would say, do not attempt to adjust your set. This is a test, only a test. But listen, you need to say that to yourself when the bad times come. This is a test. This is just a test. I'm going to pass it and I'm about to get promoted. You got to know that. You got to know that. I want to look at one other scripture and then I'm done in the Old Testament about patience. And I don't think it's in my notes, so I'm going to have to find it right quick. So give me just a second. It's in Isaiah. It's about patience. And I know Isaiah is in my Bible. Lord, help me, help me. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. He's saying, I could quote it to you, but I'd really like to read it to you. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. Tell me where it is, Kevin. 55, I'm not quite back there. No, it's 55, 8. There it is. Yeah, there it is. Well, I, it's, it's on the whole page because I got King James and Amplified. But I'm going to read it from King James. My ways are not your, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. Now, we're talking about hope and patience. Now, this is what God is saying. I don't think like you. I understand that. I don't think like a human. My thoughts are bigger than yours. My thoughts are different than yours. And I don't act like you. Thank God. We'd all be dead if God acted like us. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than yours. And then he gives us an example of the way he thinks. Because he wants us to understand the operation of heaven in the earth. As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Now listen, this is what he's saying to us. You need to understand that your prayers are like seasons. In Texas, we have blue bonnets. I don't know what kind of wildflowers you have here, but we have blue bonnets. Fields and fields of, of blue bonnets. Lady Bird Johnson planted a lot of them all along the, the highways. And in the winter months, you can drive along. There's a road between my house and my sister's house. It's a 50-mile uh, stretch of road, and it's nothing but farms. And those fields in the winter are barren and ugly. There's nothing pretty about them. They are ugly. You would never guess that anything pretty would ever be in those fields. But during the winter time, the rain comes and it penetrates down through the earth and there's a seed under the earth. And that cold winter, the colder the winter, the more beautiful the wildflowers in the spring. And there's a time that comes in the spring. In fact, it's happening right now in Texas where all those little seeds pop up and you drive down that road and instead of a barren field, it's the most beautiful thing you have ever seen. All of the red bud trees are blooming and there's pink above and kind of a fuchsia above. And then there's blue bonnets everywhere. As far as you can see, those rolling hills are covered with blue and red paintbrush. It's just absolutely incredible. And God said, I want you to understand that that's the way it happens in the natural. It's also the way it happens in the spirit. It's the same way with my word. My word goes out of my mouth. That's the way my word is. It goes out of my mouth and it will not return to me void. Now I have a question for you. Where is God's mouth? It is on your face. If God speaks on the earth today, he's going to speak through your mouth. He's saying, you get my word in your mouth. And you begin to speak my word. You get your vision above your circumstances. You grab hold of the promise. You put it in your mouth. You begin to speak my word. Now, I need to tell you that as you're speaking my word, there's going to be a season where it looks like nothing is happening. It looks like nothing is ever going to happen. It looks like there's nothing but dry. It's seasons. You know, farmers know this. We make that statement, seed time and harvest. Hallelujah. Seed time and harvest. But farmers know it's seed, time, 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 time. Chase away the grasshoppers. Time, time. And finally comes the harvest. Now, see, God wants you to understand it may have been a while, but he hasn't forgotten. You've got to keep sowing the word in your heart. You've got to keep the word of God in your mouth. You, you, we water it with the word. We water it with our faith. We water it with our tears. We speak it forth. We continue to believe it. When we get discouraged, we pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. We shake ourselves off. We pull down all those pictures that circumstances try to bring up against the promise we have from God. We just keep standing. We just keep standing. We just keep standing until one day we step in to the promise. Faith will never disappoint you. Hope will never disappoint you. Patience will never 
disappoint you. Bow your heads. Praise you, Jesus. Father, I ask you in my life and in the life of every person here to give me a fresh expectation from you. Not an old expectation, but a big one. Challenge us, Lord. Challenge us. Challenge us to step beyond the ordinary and to believe you for the extraordinary. And don't let one person leave this building, Father, who does not know you. Do not let one person leave this building who is not following you as they should. Life is short. Help us realize how short our life is how brief our life is and how important it is that we live every moment in your presence. While your heads are bowed, let me ask you this question. If you died right now sitting in that seat, and by the way, you could, are you ready to meet the Lord? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're born again, that Jesus is the Lord of your life? If you're not sure, I'd love to pray for you. I won't embarrass you, but I would love to pray for you. If you just slip your hand in the air so I know you're there, I'm going to pray with you. Anybody here like that? I'm looking over the congregation. Everybody in this building is, I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? You can put it down now. Anybody else? Let me ask you this question. You say, Billy, I know I'm born again. I, I know that I've been saved. But God knows and I know that I'm not living right. That I need to rededicate my life to the Lord this morning. I need to make things right. If that's you, slip your hand in the air. I want to pray for you. All over the building. All over the building, I see your hands, several hands, several hands. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and we're going to pray with you. I'm not going to make you come to the front, but I want you, I, I don't know whether, I don't know what your habit is here, but you need to confess to someone that you have rededicated your life or that you've made Jesus the Lord of your life for the first time. Because it says we confess with our mouth that we seal the deal. You might want to come to pastor. There may be leadership that, that will be in the front that you can come to. But I'm gonna, we're going to all pray with you so you'll be comfortable. So pray this with me. Oh, God, I know without Jesus I'm lost. Without Jesus I would die and go to hell. But I don't want to be lost. I know I need to be saved. And I can't save myself. But I believe Jesus is the Christ. He died for me. He rose again. He's alive today. The Lord of heaven and earth. I turn away from the world, the flesh, the devil. I turn to you and I ask you, wash me in the blood of Jesus. Cleanse me. Refresh me. Renew the joy of my salvation. And from this day forward, I will serve you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for restoring me. In Jesus' name, amen.